0: on tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Katie Martin, Director of Sustainability at Avetta, about supplier engagement and communications around ESG. This episode is sponsored by Avetta. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Katie Martin, Director of Sustainability at Avetta. Welcome to the show, Katie.
1: Thanks, Jay. Great to be here.
0: Great to have you back. You were on last year. Um, and I guess... You know, for the benefit of folks who maybe didn't hear that, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do at Aveda.
1: Absolutely. Um, so I serve as the director of sustainability at Aveda. Um, I support both our internal and external sustainability work. So um, internally, that, of course, means um, managing the same reporting metrics and data management that a lot of our clients and partners are dealing with, too, in terms of scope one, two, and three emissions and ensuring we're in compliance Uh, along the ESG landscape. Um, And then I also support our clients and our suppliers in their own maturity growth in this space and understanding um, what good looks like and keeping abreast of uh, rapidly pacing uh, regulations that we translate into our product um, as a result of that feedback loop and some of the monitoring that my team does as well. So we like to think we have our our finger on the pulse, especially when it comes to uh, helping with supply chain sustainability work. Uh, But I think we're all learning and growing at the same time in this ecosystem.
0: Definitely. Um, Well, yeah, we're going to talk about sustainability today. And I wanted to get started by asking you, what role do procurement practices play in achieving sustainability objectives for an organization?
1: A fantastic question, because more and more what we're seeing is procurement really serving as the tip of the spear, so to speak, when it comes to managing your ESG and sustainability metrics, because depending on your industry, up to 90% of those metrics are affected by your supply chain. Um, So having a procurement team uh, plugged into whatever sustainability work is happening in the organization and those goals and being able to translate those goals into the procurement process and the supplier communications plans is absolutely critical Um, in this new landscape.
0: Um, How do you assess and ensure that suppliers meet sustainability criteria during the procurement process?
1: That's a a very long question, uh, but one that I think uh, is interesting to kind of traverse together. Uh, The first piece is really understanding what the sustainability criteria are for your organization. And as we kind of alluded to before, there's gonna be a wide degree of variability based on materiality. Um, a lot of folks probably familiar with materiality now that it's been in the uh, the taxonomy for some time. But for those who aren't, uh, based on the industry that you occupy, certain aspects under the ES&G banner are going to matter more than others just based on the impact of the work you do. Uh, We can clearly understand that in manufacturing versus like professional services. So really identifying what those are. Some people do a materiality assessment. Some folks utilize uh, SASB, which is a tool that can kind of give you a rapid analysis, really helps your procurement team and even your health and safety team understand which pieces matter in their day-to-day work. Um, After that, it's starting to think about, all right, how do we integrate those criteria into our supplier pre-qual process, whatever that looks like. Um, Are we adding in additional questions? Are we um, upping our due diligence around documentation and um, assurance processes? How are we kind of translating this into our process so we're filtering out suppliers who don't align with uh, our sustainability mission and goals and in fact pose a lot of risk to us as a result? Uh, I think the, the biggest piece really is the communication aspect of that. How are we working with our suppliers to... Uh, Let them know what this new world looks like and why we're asking these aspects of them, how it impacts the business, and how they can, in turn, grow with us into that new compliance space, too.
0: Um, So, what are the key challenges that organizations face when they're trying to integrate sustainability into procurement processes, and how would you address those? Goodness,
1: I think a lot of them really stem from just uh, uh, a lot of people are at different levels of education in the sustainability space. Um, Sustainability is used interchangeably to be GHG or anything in the environmental space only, or sometimes folks use ESG. Um, I think it all comes back to, again, defining what that means for your organization and which metrics matter most to you. Um, And being able to kind of roll that out internally first. So there's unification there. Um, What we're finding more and more sustainability is horizontal, it's not a vertical. Um, So it requires a lot of uh, interplay between your different departments and teams. Folks may own different fractured sets of information and data. Um, So I think the biggest piece is really getting an internal consensus in a world where folks are already inundated with a lot of work to take on. um, The other piece I think is uh, the supplier communication component. some folks are going to market with their sustainability goals um, and, you know, starting to put out new PQFs or supplier engagement at the uh, sourcing process without really uh, letting suppliers know why this is important. And now suddenly suppliers are expected to have a GHG policy. They need to know what decarbonization means. Modern day slavery has expanded in certain areas of the world too, in terms of expected governance that's having trickle down effects. Um, For instance, uh, you know, Canada recently passed legislation that, Technically uh, affects organizations over a certain revenue line. But if those organizations identify suppliers in their supply chain, no matter what the size, those suppliers have to be in compliance too. So I think ensuring that you get ahead of those pieces um, and let your suppliers know what may be coming and how they can also best prepare to move along with you and best practice business is um, something that's uh, both a piece of friction, but an opportunity space too.
0: Um, let's talk about. Cross-functional collaboration. How would you foster collaboration between procurement, health and safety, and other relevant departments to ensure a holistic approach to sustainability within your organization?
1: Uh, First and foremost, I think it's about uh, putting together what your kind of internal power team or TIGER team around sustainability looks like. Uh, Some organizations are in a space where they've invested in sustainable headcount. So there is somebody who owns this function with the organization and can kind of help unite these departments. Other organizations, not, uh, not there yet. Um, and so I think the first thing is recognizing whether there is someone um, owning the process or not. There is a need to have some sort of uh, consortium or some kind of internal working team that can kind of start to understand uh, what are our regulatory requirements, who owns what, and how can we like put together our sustainability narrative to at least meet the the minimum reporting standards. Uh, But there's been a lot of folks who have seen this too as um, again, like an opportunity space. So uh, utilizing it to foster kind of uh, like even retention opportunities internally with folks who wanna raise their hand from just the general employee line and take a leading role or represent the geographic location where they're stashed uh, in uh, in the sustainability process. Um, So I think really understanding um, how to bring together representatives across your, you know, your health and safety, your procurement teams, if you have like waste management teams or building management folks that also play a large role in your sustainability metrics, make sure everyone is at the table and represented um, and at least communicating like two to three times a year so that you're best positioned to meet these moving requirements.
0: Um, how can sustainability and procurement leaders work with suppliers before and after sustainability due diligence to reduce friction and support compliance growth?
1: This is really, I think, the most pivotal piece missing from our sustainability conversation today, especially in the supply chain. Um, I think there's been a lot of technology that has kind of rushed into this space to address the due diligence aspect and putting suppliers through their pre-qualification and documentation paces. But we don't really talk about the before and the after of that. Uh, so I think before to like set that type of program up for success, um, ensure not only supplier compliance but even supplier response. It really comes out to having some kind of communications or go-to-market plan, even if it's just uh, you know a supplier email um, or whatnot, telling them that here are the regulatory you know developments affecting us now, and this is what it requires of us with our suppliers. So. By proxy this is what's going to be required of you moving forward and give suppliers a heads up so you know they're not jumping into whatever compliance platform they utilize on jan one thinking it's going to be business as usual and now getting hit with all these new question sets that they may not even um, understand apply to them or you know all these new acronyms that they have to learn in addition to spinning up all these policies Um, A lot of folks we work with and um, one of the benefits within our network is that we host a lot of those pre-workshops too. Um, And that's something that I would encourage folks to look into investigating is, um, how can you spin up maybe a 30-minute webinar to allow folks to have a bit of a Q&A around this? Because they'll likely have a lot of questions. Um, And to that end, understanding what you're asking of them may be net new. Um, So are there templates or um, resource groups, be that your site, one of your vendor sites or uh, something that's like out in the NGO space that you can direct them to 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 set them up. And then when we get on the other side of eval, um, it's very likely that a significant amount of your suppliers are not gonna have initially scored well, whatever rubric or calibration that you're utilizing simply because this is net new. Um, And so how can we think about what our growth plan looks like with those uh, suppliers over time? Similar to how if you had a typical procurement process and a supplier did not pass muster at first blush or had a challenge with forced labor, what is our working plan to get you into compliance? What is that? Is it a 12-month, 18-month, 24-month? What metrics do we need to see happen? Um, So I think having those kind of continuous improvement conversations and plans is really helpful. Um, One of the things we utilize is when suppliers go through a due diligence process, they come out in one of four scoring buckets. And based on that bucket, we have customized language that goes out to them that celebrates what's going well. And then we start to talk about how you can move up the compliance ladder uh, and bolster your ESG and sustainability positioning. And I think giving folks a path to success and the supplier side is absolutely critical to keeping them engaged and performing at their
0: utmost. Um, you know, you've kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, people are sort of different uh, sort of levels or, or you know, uh, points in their ESG journey. You know uh what's it gonna take you know is it gonna take just you know more time for people to be more to more people get on the same page as far as you know where they are because i imagine there's some challenges that lie there you know when you're dealing with somebody who you know isn't as knowledgeable about sustainability and esg uh as, as you are and then you might be dealing with somebody who's even further along than you are so you know when, when are those things going to get a little easier
1: Yeah. One thing we're hoping is uh, some of this learning curve will be sharply abated in the next year because a lot of the frameworks and standards bodies are finally starting to consolidate. Mm. So depending on the external stakeholder, whether it was the asset management community and the investor community or your board or consumers or an NGO, everyone had different frameworks and standards that a lot of folks are trying to pivot into. Uh, So seeing that consolidate Um, to an extent that we're able to based on industry is going to be, I think, great unification because now everyone can play catch up and not constantly be inundated with new information and shifting goalposts. Um, I think second to that then comes just time. Um, Everyone's kind of going through their first round, I think, in 2024, based on big passages like CSRD. California just passed a bill requiring supply chain transparency. And I think good news, bad news is because of of funding considerations, some of those have been delayed in terms of when the first uh, data is expected to be reviewed. But that's great news for folks who are in this learning curve space because it gives you time to catch up. You know it's coming, you have an idea of what their expectations are. And now we can start this internal and external communication and education place to make sure everybody hits the ground running. So I, I think with any emerging type of big regulatory movement, like you know, the implementation of uh, Surveillance-Oxley and like OSHA changes and things. There's always going to be this this pivot to education before folks start to understand what best practices really look like.
0: And for those folks who are in the catch-up phase or catch-up mode, where do you sort of recommend they, you know, kind of turn to, to, to you know, find the information and find get that knowledge that they need?
1: Great, great question, too. Uh, I think my first spot would be if you're in more of the infancy of this and really needing to just understand outside of the re- regulatory specifications, like what are your material impacts uh, the SASB website, SASB.org is a great first stop. You can search by your company name if you're publicly traded or by your industry, and it'll lay out exactly under the ESG what critical indicators are most important to you. Um, I'm also excited to see um, ISO, which a lot of folks are familiar with, um, Mm -hmm. operationalizing these standards now. So they've basically mapped the UN SDG goals, which are a lot of these sustainability factors. And they've turned them into language and operational changes that you could make on the ground as HSE and procurement folks. Um, So if you go to the ISO website um, and go to their UN SDG section, you'll see now I understand what critical indicators matter for my organization. And then exactly steps you can start to take to deploy them, whether it's waste management practices and doing a waste audit internally and starting an internal education piece for your employees to reduce waste. Or thinking about what psychosocial safety means in the HSE land now and how that applies to DEI metrics and things that folks are starting to look at.
0: That's great advice. Well, Katie, I want to thank you for joining me today. This has been great. Thanks so much.
1: My pleasure. Always great to speak with you, Jay. And looking forward to hopefully reconnecting soon.
0: Yeah, thank you. That wraps up episode one ninety three of EHS On Tap. Thanks again to Avetta for sponsoring the episode. You can find more information about the show and listen on demand episodes at EHSDailyAdvisor.BLR.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope to join me next time.